Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello! And welcome to Science Faction 639! Science Faction Fusion Day! This is Fusion Day. This is Fusion Day. I mean, like, we've talked about this for so long, but we finally got a net positive. Hopefully. Now, technically, this is a little bit this is a little bit weird because because we're calling it Fusion Day on the day we're recording this, which is Monday. Uh, we're hoping that the day we release it, Tuesday, is actual Fusion Day. So this is like preparatory fusion sneak peek day. Well, I mean, I, I mean, is has it been confirmed? You know, because last time they said they did something and it had to go out to a lab, and they said it's probably much better than what the results say. Has this come back from the lab? Positive, confirmed. We're at running at a hundred or at positive net energy. That's what that's what I'm hearing. Yes, and we're going to get all into that. But before we do, speaking of running at positive net energy, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is my one-year-older and one-year-less-wise comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how are you doing this afternoon? It's so weird how that works. I'm, I'm Benjamin yes. Button for, like, wisdom. It's weird. Yes. Like... You gain a year of age and lose a year of knowledge every year you advance. Isn't it weird, though, because, like, I was the one in high school where everybody was looking to party, and I'm like, everybody, take your money and put it into a 401k. Uh, everybody, I was the one giving out sage advice, but I think, like, I'm going to be finishing my life just pounding Mountain Dew on a, on a, on a three-wheeler, uh, taking jumps. Unfortunately, it doesn't actually uh, make you any smarter than you were or give you any knowledge you didn't know. So all the wisdom that you continually lose is just the only wisdom you had a source for as you were gaining it in the 80s and 90s. So it's all 90s TV references. So so you were <laughs> like, like la last week I was walking by and then you just scream like on episode 22, Zach was wearing a blue shirt. And I was... <laughs> To say by the bell references, you just yell them at me. And then, and then yesterday when I called you and I was like, Damien, how you doing after your birthday? And you went on a nice trip and everything. How are you doing? Just you just had this long thing of silence, and then you went, "I'm so half sighted. I don't. I, what, <laughs> I'm so scared. Is it something I want to say? <laughs> nice Saved by the Bell reference, specifically the episode where Jesse gets hooked on caffeine pills. Certainly something that, that I mean, I, I knew about the dangers of kids yes. who needed that help studying really hard. As, as, a C, as a C student, I needed to know the secret to, to being valedictorian. But I also learned the dark side. Thank you, Jesse Spanos. Yeah, thank you for protecting us from that rash of caffeine pill overdoses that we saw in the mid '90s. Yeah, I, w I really more identified with Screech. That he was kind of more my jam. Me too, but that's just because I did a horrible porn later in life and also got stabbed in a bar on Christmas. <laughs> You know, I heard, by the way, I heard uh, he was just somebody that, like, uh, the TMZ crew liked to shit on. I heard, personally, he was actually a really cool guy. Huh. But just, uh, it, like, shitting on Screech was popular. So everybody, so, like, till, he, till, till he was stabbed in a bar, probably by somebody who just wanted to, like, make fun of him for a, for a role he had in his teenage years. Are you telling me that TMZ, which I imagine are, like, the cool kids of the grown-up entertainment industry, bullied Screech? <laughs> Say it ain't so, Bobby. <laughs> Say it ain't so. If only Mario Lopez had got involved, he could have really straightened them out. 
By the way, thank you uh, for calling. And that's right, Science Faction listeners. You've showed up to, you're listening to Science Faction, the internet's number one classic TV references <laughs> and science podcast show. That'd be great if Mario Lopez, back when Screech was alive, like he saw Screech being hounded by the t- paparazzi and he just like stormed into him. He's like, hey, what's going on here? And he puts his arm around him and he's like, you guys apologize to him. Somebody made this very flamboyant but physically fit dancer into a high school bully character. Everybody run. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. Mario Lopez was uh, was like a true entertainer, uh, like a jazz and tap guy. Uh, but they made him like the high school bully. Oh, uh, dear. I always thought it was funny that he was a grown-ass man on TV when we were still children. And then I saw a video of him also on TV like a week ago, and he looks 10 years younger than either of us. Dude, I'm 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 pretty sure he's gay. Like, dude, whatever gay fitness regiment regiment he's on, I would like to be on. I don't think it's because he's gay. I just think parts of gay culture uh, stress stress fitness more. Yes, and moisturizing. All right, and if you want to stress your moisturizing, go ahead and check out our Patreon. You can check out Robert Timothy at Patreon, where you'll find another episode of Science Faction every single week. But for now, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. All right, article number one, Fuse Sun. By the way, since this is, like, can we start calling this, like, F-Day, F-Day plus one? Yes, I was thinking. We had V-Day, we had D-Day. This could be F-Day, which is the first F day we have had uh, since that train load of government strength ecstasy crashed in the middle of the Midwest. <laughs> oh, all this ecstasy is giving me the strength I need to get rid of my opioid addiction. <laughs> I always thought F day meant like 9-11, where kind of just things went got fucked for America. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like that. Oh, dear. So what was just announced? Uh, What should be announced today as you're listening to this on Tuesday, but is only purported to be announced for tomorrow on the day we're recording this, is the National Ignition Facility at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory will announce that they have produced a nuclear fusion reaction resulting in a net energy gain. Woo, we did it! It's fusion day! I know we're going to cover this, Bobby, but you, I want to put it in now. I want to submit my question now. Uh-huh. How would some, because I mean, fuchsia is, fusion is the, uh, fuchsia is the first step yes. to. Fuchsia. <laughs> you first, you need one hell of a stylist. You know, I wear a lot of maroon because it works yes. on me and maroon is right next to fuchsia. That's right, Bobby. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be the first fuchsia science host on the internet. Few should. <laughs> I can pull it off. I got the hips. Uh. I have a question. Okay, so if this is the first step towards, as, as we've said on the show, towards free energy, you know, like yep. uh, an energy well, surplus. Well, let's not say free energy has a different connotation. Let's say limitless power. Yeah, I was about to say, how does like limitless power, how does that really work in a, in a, in a capitalist society? Like, how would you work? Like, would it be like internet? Like how America, like we got the technology, but America still has really shitty internet and we pay a lot for it. Or would it, like, would this, would this limitless energy be, uh, would we, the people get the benefits of this? Uh, I mean, we we would a small percentage. Yeah. Or would it all go towards a shareholder? I don't, I don't know what this would mean in terms of like 
cost of energy production, but certainly it changes the fucking game in terms of ability to produce energy and uh, a much bigger issue in my in my mind, which is climate change. And this, I mean, this, if everything works out and we're able to scale it up and get into commercial production and the whole nine yards, if we're able to really make use of this, we could be looking at the answer to climate change. Um, because remember, we, you know, the issue with climate change is putting out greenhouse gases and we know how to take those gases out of the atmosphere. We have carbon capture technology. The problem is it takes energy to run that carbon capture technology and that energy takes, you know, something to generate it. And so uh, we don't have essentially the, the cost, the energy to do that. But if you had limitless energy, Climate change wouldn't be a problem. You just suck that CO2 right back out of the atmosphere. Now, again, we'd have to balance it. We'd have to figure out exactly how much CO2 to suck and blah, 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 blah. But if you had limitless energy, you could tackle the biggest problem that has ever faced our species, which is what climate change is. Yeah, I, I would love to see. Uh, would, would it just be like, uh, how would they do that? Just a couple sites, like with big fans, sucking it up with their own little fusion generator. So their own mini sun attached to a diesel generator. That's in turn. <laughs> That's how they do it. Yes. <laughs> no, you literally like can pull it in and there are things like limestone that can kind of like sequester CO2. So you just kind of force it in there. You, you push it all in. You can seal it up. In fact, old fracking wells are really, really good for this because they've actually removed the gas, the natural gas, the methane that had filled in those limestone deposits. And so they're empty or like a sponge, an empty sponge. And we can just cram CO2 down in there. But again, all that takes energy. If you get to that, then you have it. So let's get to talking about what this is. We've already had nuclear power plants for more than 50 years. That's based on a fission principle, just like the first nuclear bombs at Nagasaki and Hiroshima were. Fission is the idea that you are going to pull apart an atom. You're going to literally rip it apart and that energy that's inside comes out. And that's a tremendous amount of energy. Fusion, however, is much more energy. This is what we talk about when we refer to things like thermonuclear weapons. And this is the fusion process that goes on in the sun where you fuse hydrogen together to create helium. And that actually, even though it seems counterintuitive, it seems like if you break something open, more stuff should come out. In fact, when you fuse something together like that, the leftover material that's left that gets transitions to, to energy is actually way more voluminous in terms of energy capacity. So uh, fusion reactions, way, 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 way more energy reactive than fission. They're almost not even in the same category. Um, so it's kind of sad that we call them both nuclear reactions. Fission's the poor man's nuclear reaction. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. And we have had those reactors for a long time. There's a lot of problems with those reactors. I still personally, even with those problems, think those old designs are better than a lot of the way we currently generate electricity. But we have newer designs that are better. We have thorium reactors, but the problem with the old design reactors, they could melt down where the mediator for, for it, the, in this case, water melted out, and then the things essentially melted out. They, they burned really, really hot. They could explode with the strength of TNT, not a nuclear explosion, and then burn really hot and melt out of their containment and then get out. We saw that in Fukushima and Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, all of that stuff. And at the end of the whole process, you have radioactive materials that will be around for tens of thousands of years. Those are all the negative sides. None of that is true with fusion. 
Fusion does not have any radioactive materials at the end of the process, or to the extent there really is no materials at the end of the process, because unlike fission, which is like a physical reactor, and they have a physical rod, putting this plutonium down in there, they're doing all that. A fusion reactor is kind of like a donut. They, it's called a tokamak, and it's this donut-shaped thing that holds this really, really hot plasma that's flowing around. And you need a really strong force field to hold that donut shape in place, and and then you basically throw in things like little hydrogen pellets, hit them with lasers, get the whole thing going, get super, super hot. You suck off that heat energy to run things like turbines and steam generators and stuff. Very, very low tech stuff after that point. But the, the really, really neat thing is we have apparently crossed the threshold of producing more power from one of these reactions than it takes to put in. And that is the gold standard of fusion power generation. The reason that's the gold standard is we have been able to cause an ongoing fusion reaction in one of these tokamaks for some time now using the magnetic field. However, it always takes us more energy to shoot the lasers and contain the magnetic field than we produce. So it's always a net negative reaction. The second that reaction becomes net positive, it doesn't have to be that you're making 50% more electricity than you put in. If you are making 0.01%, more energy coming out than going in, go back in, keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that, and you have essentially a self-sustaining, never-ending source of what will eventually be unlimited energy if it works. Okay, so what? let's just say it's 0.01% uh, positive. What is the energy efficiency of fusion? Would it be 100 hundred and point oh one percent no because I know that I know that like nuclear is like two percent energy efficient right and then coal's less yes no it's not because you are still there's wasted energy for anything to be a for a reaction to be a hundred percent efficient there has to be no wasted energy there's a ton of wasted energy in these reactions the the issue is just is there more energy going in than coming out Okay, so 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 what percentage of efficiency would I have? Oh, it, tiny. I mean, the power of nuclear fusion is so big, you know, like you just come and putting together a couple of the smallest atoms in the face of the universe creates the largest explosion known. You know, it, it makes a sun, literally. So it's like a thousand percent energy efficient then or... <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm saying it's like 3%. The, the energy efficiency is how much of the energy you actually use. And so much will be siphoned off to heat that that will still be a small amount of efficiency. But efficiency doesn't even matter. For all I know, it's like 0.5%. It's less than coal. But the fact of the matter is, as long as it has enough energy and you get more out than you put in, then we're good. I, I actually want to double back. Uh, you, you were talking about carbon capture technology. Yeah. Uh, and like, you know, sh shoving car, you know, using this system. What if we were to use this system to generate energy? Uh, question, Bobby. Uh, uh -huh. What are some of the biggest things uh, you could, you could, uh, that's carbon soaks? Yes, the tree. A great one, right? Oh, what soaks up carbon? Yeah, yeah, a tree. We talked before about like limestone. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Plants, like you just bring up uh, animals. I mean, we're all made of carbon. We build our bodies of carbon. And that's where I'm going with this. Okay, listen, here's the problem. I know that trees are a great carbon capture technology, but what happens? Yeah. You plant a tree, it soaks up all that carbon, but it stays on earth and the carbon is still there. The tree dies, yeah. it gets burnt down in a forest fire, which are even more common. What we need yeah. to do is start using our technology. I've, I've, we've talked, covered on this show that it's possible for us to breed mammoths and mammoths are huge. If we sure. start breeding mammoths, that's like a, that's like a four ton of carbon right there in one mammoth mm -hmm. and we yes. shoot it off into space and just immediately getting rid of this carbon, just getting it off the planet. Now, listen, I know you have thought about this a lot, clearly. Uh -huh. Clear but, uh, I mean, yeah, almost, almost five minutes, I've, a long time. <laughs> 
we talked before the show how much carbon it takes to get anything into space, even like a pound of material. So it's actually, that would actually be to the detriment of climate change to take something as heavy as a mammoth and send it into space. What if we're using like a sky hook? Like we, we use like a sky hook, you know, like like, like little space cranes that yes. use uh, physics all right, to, to, to basically catapult a mammoth into <laughs> space. Uh, <laughs> I've... I, no, well, a skyhook sky is the thing that comes down and it's like an elevator and it's hanging from a satellite and it grabs you and pulls you up. I think what you're talking about is one of like the, the super fast accelerators that launch objects into space. No, I'm talking about the one that's, uh, that NASA scientists have wanted to do forever, that, but it's, it's just super expensive and it's just a, a moonshot. Yeah, okay, yeah, the hook, the hook coming down from Earth, from, from yeah, satellite, pulls something up. Yeah. All right, yeah, I, fair I'm enough. just saying, I put a mammoth in a harness, I hook it up, and then we said go. And next thing I know, this mammoth is the sun's problem. And guess what? I just got rid of four tons of carbon. What have you done, Bobby? And one bitchy-ass mammoth. (laughs) This Karen mammoth, that's got to go. She's pissing off the whole tundra. (laughs) Yeah, what a a waste of, uh, so why are we breeding these mammoths? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Because I put a lot of work. I missed my child's birthday so I could grow this mammoth. So I really hope we're not just launching it into the sun. Anybody who's been listening to the show long enough knows I have a lot of excitement about the possibilities of fusion power. I see fusion power as the thing that saves us from humanity's horrible mistake, which is climate change. I, I see uh, the idea of nucle- of uh, a you know kind of some kind of fusion power breakthrough that allows us to actually utilize fusion power, but also b what we've been talking about the separate side of this, which is pair that with carbon capture technology to undo the damage. We can't just not do more damage. There is damage that needs to be undid. And we need to undo that as soon as possible. So mixing it with carbon capture, that would allow us to to take back the carbon we've already put in the air. Such an amazing thing. Now, listen, I'm not the guy who's out here being like, listen, we're going to have free energy in like five years. This needs to go through so many more theoretical tests, so many more different safety tests, so much more practical stuff before we're anywhere near a commercial application. But once we are, we do have some interesting possibilities. Like, Damien, we don't live too far from a place called San Onofre. It used to be a major supply of energy throughout the state of California, but was shut down about 10 years ago. We covered it on this show because of safety concerns, and it was no longer a safe facility. And it, frankly, never will be a safe facility for another fission reactor. However, we already have it isolated out there in the middle of nowhere on the coast. We already have an entire state's power grids tied into it with more power lines than you can possibly fucking imagine if, you ever, if you've never driven down I-5 before. But what a great spot for a trial for the next great fusion generator is a place where you can hook it up to the, the grid network that's already set up there, and the second you get it running, you're already able to generate power for the whole state because the infrastructure's already there. Now, Bobby, I've seen Tobey Maguire's uh, second Spider-Man film, uh, the one with Dr. Octavius, the well-respected uh, Dr. Octavius. Sure. What a what a coincidence that he happened to be named Dr. Octavius, but then also get the Dr. Octopus arms. Like, wh- like why wasn't he named Dr. Octavius, but he turned into Man Bat, you know? No, no, he, he has to be named Dr. Octavius and also have just a question. Otto Octavius, the alliteration yes. in his name. Yes. I mean... I mean, like, it couldn't be like, ah, it's your nemesis, Dr. Spencer, the octopus. Like, it's never... It's <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just want to point that out. Right, but but in this movie, he, uh, he the, I think the plot of the movie was that they were going to uh, do a fusion sun on Earth, blah, 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 to, for limitless energy. My question to you is, in real life, 
in the physics of this, what happens if the containment field fills? Does it just fizzle out or does it uh, envelop the earth? Uh, the reaction can't be sustained because once it fizzles out, if the field fizzles out, it can't contain the heat. And that heat is necessary to maintain that reaction, as are the neutron bombardments and stuff. So if you lose containment, you also lose the reaction. Okay, question one. Question two. We also know that uh, there, there ain't no more uh, helium coming our way. Yes, However, right. this this uh, fusion reaction opens the door. So <laughs> how do you get the- atom of helium at a time. Hey, Bobby, I don't- <laughs> I don't care if uh, if my, my faucet's dripping one drop at a time. It'll fill a swimming pool, give it enough time. Will it? I, that's a lot of time, dude. <laughs> I got nothing, Bobby. I got nothing. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit there and watch the pool fill all day. I have like the world's tiniest pool. I have like a koi pond of a swimming pool that's four and a half feet deep, and I can reach my arms across it, and it took the hose on full blast for a day and a half to fill up. So I don't know about your drip drop. Well, you know, according to every uh, cheap dad father figure from TV growing up, I know that like it would be at least a week before that dripping faucet filled up a pool. <laughs> would we even bother to extract the helium or would it just no. be nothing? It's, it builds up. So like you imagine uh, how many atoms are in like a balloon. And I think like the a balloon of helium has, you know, I don't know, something to the nth power of atoms. I, I think it would take... I don't know, maybe a hundred years of fusion reactions to fill up a balloon. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think that's about right. To fill up that swimming pool balloon. I gotcha. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. That's right. All right. Article number two, a whole new branch on the tree of life. Dude, this is a big week for science faction. Huge fucking week, Damien. You took your break. You took your vacation and science decided they weren't taking a vacation. They were working twice as hard. But the thing is, like, both of these experiments, while huge, aren't, like, something that, like, I could go tell your average person and they'd get excited about. Dude, an entirely new branch, not connected to any branch in, on Earth, has been discovered. Yeah, I guess this one is really hard to convey. That's a really good intro, actually, because this the, that's a good way to say that. Like, this is a very hard story to convey how important it is. It should have been the number one story. On almost any other week, in almost any other part of the year, it would have been the number one story by far of the year. The only reason it wasn't is because it was fucking Fusion Day. I mean, what I mean, what are the practical applications? Because, yes, this is really cool to know that there's, like, a branch that got separated from... But, like, uh, unless this is, like, going to be refined into a biological weapon, a la aliens, is there any practical purpose? Or is this just a, like, discovering uh, something about anthropology? Like, this is a really cool thing about our history <laughs> on this planet as a species, but um, don't expect a new bioweapons division. Well, it, it might be both, but let's start with the basics of it. So, researchers have recently found a new huge group of living things that we had no idea existed. And I'm not talking about there's a species or, or a genera or even something like that that's running around. Uh, and, and look, we found them and how neat is this? This is an entire branch of the tree of life. And I'm going to try and put that into perspective for you. So, this group is called Provora. And this life form, these life forms make up a category informally called a supergroup, which sits below domains and can contain multiple kingdoms. So think of kingdoms of life, meaning plants, animals, fungi. This would be above that, right? So this is Whoa. huge. 
in fact, there is more genetic diversity in these 10, I think there's 10 species of Prevora that we have discovered. There is more genetic diversity within those 10 species than there are within the entire animal and fungal kingdoms combined. Wow. So I guess what comes before kings and they're playing chess on that fine grain sand? I mean, like, uh, like it's too, is there a current explanation for the diversity? Like, uh, like, is there a current uh, analogy for the diversity? Like Damien, you are just as related to this mushroom as yeah. this plant species is related to, or it's even further than that. Further than that. So this, this is before that break off. And this is kind of it when we have the domains of life. So the domains of life would be technically some, some actually only separated into two, which is like eukaryotes and prokaryotes. But I think it, it, for the most part, we go like bacteria, archaea, and eukaryotes, right? Those are at least those three. This division comes right underneath that. It comes before you get into the divisions of plants and animals. It's fucking crazy. So, so very, very interesting. They're, they're called the lions of the microbial world. The first one was actually first discovered in 2017 from a scientist looking at a piece of fake coral in a aquarium fish tank. And it was so weird. He didn't even know what the fuck it was. He's like, this looks nothing like anything else. As an example of how far removed these things are from we, from us and everything we know, we use a special kind of RNA differentiator be to see how far apart certain animals are. And for instance, this RNA differentiator between us and guinea pigs is about nine. There's about nine differences in, these DN in this RNA sequence between us and guinea pigs. Between us and this other group, 150. Jesus. And by the way, has the same amount of differences between them and plants and them and fungus and them and everything else. This is how different this is. So, so is this, uh, was it, we didn't find this in some isolated cave. Is this more like Archaea where it's like just something that's yes. been around forever, but we didn't know oh, what it was. Oh, great analogy. Great analogy. Cause Archaea, in fact, I was going to say, this is the biggest discovery in biology since the discovery of Archaea in 1977. That was a whole different thing where, you know, we, we discovered these things were go around us the whole time and we just confused them for other stuff like bacteria. It's kind of like that. They're around in marine environments, whether marine or freshwater, they're in water all around the earth. And it's not that we necessarily haven't completely noticed them. We've sometimes made a, made note that these things are there, but we didn't know what they were. And we have now figured out exactly what they are. They're a group of life. Again, we have just given it the name Provora. And the two different groups include Nibblerids and Nibulids. And the Nibblerids, they eat around, they literally nibble. They eat around the outside of microbes. They're these, these, this new discovered group, they're like super predators of the micro world. They're considered the lions of the micro, micro world. So they just world. go and take a chunk out of a, out of a microorganism and walk away? Like they just... No, they, they nibble it to death. And the other kind, the nubilids actually envelop the creature completely and, and, and envelop it to death. While they're all over the world, they're actually quite rare. There's not a lot of them per any given area, which is one of the reasons that, that, that we didn't discover them till later. And then two, they're small, obviously. And so it's hard to differentiate them from things that we know that are small, that are, that already live in that area. This is really, really neat. Again, these things survive by eating up other microbes. And that might be something that, as Damien brought up, becomes useful to us in a time of antibiotic resistance and all of this kind of stuff, it might be that a way to go about doing stuff is like the bacteriophage. You find another creature that infects or kills or eats bacteria, but doesn't do shit to you and you eat it. <laughs> That's the same philosophy. I treat the pets in my neighborhood as listen, 
I, did I see a caller? If not, we're barbecuing tonight. <laughs> it It is unbelievably cool. And this is such a big discovery. I mean, frankly, this is such a big discovery that I think this might be one of those things where we probably won't see a bigger discovery than this in terms of, you know, like trees of life, finding entire branches of life we've never discovered before. We probably won't see anything as big as this, at least in our lifetime. You know, maybe we go off to space and find something else. But like, this is such a huge discovery. This is such a giant deal. And and furthermore, like we haven't even asked some really big questions now. How do these in, interact in the environment? Even though we didn't find any on land or in soil, can, are there some relatives of them are in land or in soil somewhere? What part of interactions of everyday biota and, and the biological web are going on that these things are involved in that we didn't realize? You know, what are they doing? Are they infectious agents for other things? Do they cause problems? Can they maybe infect humans and we didn't even know about it and they do other like, who knows this is cresting the hill and seeing the undiscovered land and there are a lot of canyons to explore like uh, this is a big day for i guess uh physics and biology and yeah. i feel like i you know i guess the only thing that could one up this would be like a unified field theory or maybe the guy working on unified field theories like uh feels a little put out that oh damn it they finished their assignments before me Uh dear. Well, very, very, very cool. Uh, such a neat science day to bring you. Uh, I hope you guys learned all about this. And I hope it got you interested enough to like Google some shit and start looking up thermonuclear weapons and <laughs> and how to make them. And then say mention our name specifically when you're talking on landlines. You can. They can't make thermonuclear weapons. Yeah, none of you bitches can make thermonuclear weapons. You know it. Listen, listen. <laughs> given given the right materials. I'll, I'll make you a fission bomb. It's not that hard. I ain't doing it with plutonium, though. You're not sticking me with that simultaneous compression reaction. Fuck no. You get me some good weapons-grade uranium, I will make you a fission bomb. Fusion? Fuck yourself. You ain't making shit. Okay, I want you to know, Bobby, you're saying that, but over on Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, they're making a better deal. They're saying, just bring us a bunch of Americonium. Just bring us a bunch of uh, exit signs and smoke detectors. You could you could do a reactor with that. You could not make a weapon with that. It's not enriched enough. All right. Well, Stephen Novella must know something you don't, because if you become <laughs> a Patreon, a nuclear bomb. If you become a Patreon for Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, he will send you a PDF on how to make a bomb from uh, smoke detectors. That's the <laughs> Stephen Novella promise. That's by the way. This is how we take down Stephen Novella. We get the FBI to do it. <laughs> Listen, in between touching kids, Stephen Novella likes to do some <laughs> random acts of terrorism. I'm not saying the FBI should do a comprehensive search of Stephen Novella's hard drive. I'm just saying it would save a lot of children if they did. I... <laughs> one day, by the way, it turns out Stephen Novella is actually uh, uh, one of the highest level BJJ black belts out there. <laughs> and just one day he's going to finally come onto our podcast. And there's going to be a really nerdy knock at the door. You know what? I don't even care. He is so bad at correcting his scientific mistakes, he must be as bad at correcting his grappling mistakes, and I'll beat him anyway. <laughs> By the way, a fan asked me to do to, to do a, an impersonation of, uh, he goes, hey, maybe uh, the next time you, uh, you, read, uh, you read something from the fans, you do it as Jay Novella. And I listened to the guy, and I was like, this is like the most basic, like if, if I were to develop an accent to be like, uh, like that a spy would use to not get caught to be nondescript, I would figure out Jay Novella's accent. 
Yeah, he's actually from Moscow. That's that's that <laughs> that particular accent is called uh, indistinguishable American thirty nine in some kind of KGB binder somewhere. <laughs> oh well, if it's Russian, I can do Russian accents. Yes, just do a Russian doing Jay Novella. Hello, it is me, Jay Novella. Thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction six thirty nine, where you learned all about Fusion Day. And how we found a whole new branch of the tree of life. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 640. Hey, Stephen Novella, it's your brother, Jay Novella. We're getting a ton of free advertising from those science bitches. <laughs> Let's finish this recording and go over there and beat their ass. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs>